0: This is Maureen Milliken, and this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff,
1: the podcast that's celebrating its one-year anniversary. Yes,
0: and this is episode forty. That's right? right. Woo! Do you have an update?
1: I do. From our seventh episode, yeah. Believe it or not, our main murders episode. I should look up
0: my guy I don't think I looked up. I'm trying to remember who your guy was. Well, maybe I'm thinking of a different one. Which we
1: did like three main murders. I uh, we did both the guy did. That shot I saw his
0: wife at the top of the stairs and said he thought she was a. An oh, intruder. that's right. We
1: both did the preacher Miranda. Oh, we
0: both did him. Okay.
1: So Luke Tiemann, who Ugh. initially reported his wife missing from he, Walmart, right from Walmart, just like the Rennies, because we talked about the Rennies guy. Yeah. I went to that Rennies when I went through Belfast Exciting. last month. Cool story. I can't. Well, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go to that Rennies without thinking of that. But his trial was set for this coming March. But recently, his defense filed him an evidence suppression motion saying that he wasn't Mirandized before he made comments to police. His attorney, Stephen Smith, who you may have heard about Nicole
0: Cable, episode uh, 38.
1: his lawyer said he was actually in police custody without the benefit of having been read his rights to remain silent under the Miranda rules. According to a court affidavit, and this is from the Morning Sentinel in Waterville, filed by Detective Hugh Landry, incited in the motion to suppress, quote, Luke initially denied any knowledge of the body, then changed his statement. And he also said Valerie, his wife, was a drug addict and he witnessed her overdose and die. Sure. He said he brought home heroin for Valerie, loaded a needle. She took the needle and injected. Is it ironic that we're reading all this stuff they want to suppress? (laughs) Luke said Valerie smiled at him and then stopped breathing. That's such a sweet death. It's like Beth and Little Women or something. Luke stated that he left her in bed until late at night and then took her outside and dug a trench and buried her. Because that's what you do when somebody overdoses. And his attorney contends that Luke made the statements to multiple police officers and what, quote, a reasonable person... Would perceive to constitute but, police custody. Okay.
0: The thing is, that's not what happened to her anyway, so. Right. Who cares? According
1: to the autopsy report, her cause of death was gunshot wounds of head and neck, and she was shot by another person, meaning it wasn't a suicide. Yes. She was clad in damp clothing, hmm. and and beneath the body was a bag of potato chips, a bottle of perfume, and a note that said, reportedly has an apologetic tone. Yeah. Well, you'd want to suppress because somebody giving such a blatantly false account, it. Implies that they're lying and they're guilty. I'm just saying. I I understand
0: why he. I mean, they they want to do that. They always want to do that anyway. But they do. He's a fucking moron. Uh,
1: Yes, he is. He's guilty of that, if nothing else. All right. So we'll keep you updated on that.
0: Is that? I think that's all we have.
1: I can't think of anything else. We should update the yoga twins. Our first episode ever at some point. Yeah, I know.
0: I'll look. I'll see what's going on with that. Yeah. That's why I like to do those really old ones and i don't Okay. So what are you? You're doing it this Well, yes I hope because I don't have anything. Oh, right
1: gee, anymore. I thought you were. No, I'm just joking. I'm not gonna say this is unique to Maine, but it's something that gets maybe a lot more ink in Maine than a bigger, more populous, less rural state would. And information for today's story comes from a number of sources. The mm-hmm. Bangor Daily News which I want to say, there's so much crap on their website, little ads and pop-ups and stuff, that it's murder trying to get it through a story. Bangor mm-hmm. Daily News. All right. Particularly outdoors writer John Holyoke of the Bangor Daily News.
0: Okay.
1: As well as former outdoors writer Roberta Scruggs, who wrote for the Maine Sunday Telegram and the Lewiston Sun Journal years ago, and provided me with some of the stories she wrote when I asked for them from her for background on one of my murder mysteries. Oh,
0: really? Gee, funny how that... It does. Isn't Isn't it it? funny?
1: Yes. And they were told to be on the internet. Also, Yankee Magazine, the New York Times, the Lewiston Sun Journal, and the Portland Press Herald. Wow. So lots of sources. Karen Renzel was 34 years old. She lived in Palermo, Maine, east of Augusta, but this fall she moved to Hebron in the western part of the state to live with her grandmother on the 15 acres her grandmother had given her. Her grandmother, Beverly Spofford, 76, had bought the land 22 years before after a divorce. She told Bangor Daily News writer John Holyoke that she was happy her granddaughter appreciated the land, hills, rocks, and all, and she wanted her to have it. In September, Rensel had surgery for cervical cancer. She was a free spirit and outdoors lover, and she planned to eventually build a cabin on the land and live in the woods. But for the time being, she was living there with her grandmother. But on October 28th, all she wanted to do was spend some time outdoors on a beautiful fall Saturday looking for rocks and gems. She brought a mason jar of coffee with her, and her grandmother convinced her to take a banana. The last thing Renzel said to her grandmother was, Don't worry about me. I won't be back until it gets dark. I like to see the sun setting through the trees. Neither had any idea it was opening day of hunting season for Maine residents. A couple hours later, Renzel was dead. She'd been shot by a thirty .30-06 rifle in her lower torso from about 200 feet away. The shot broke her pelvis and severed major arteries. Aww. Robert Trundy, 38, has been charged with manslaughter in her death, and those charges are expected to go before a grand jury sometime in December. So it'll be this month by the time this is out. Oh, yeah. Trundy told Game wardens at the scene that he thought he saw, quote, the ass of a deer, unquote, with a tail and skinny legs according to the affidavit filed in court. He also said he saw what possibly was a glimpse of antlers. His attorney, Scott Lynch, told the Bangor Daily News after a hearing in Oxford County Superior Court that Trundy quote, was certain he was shooting at a deer. And with that, Renzel joined a small, sad main group, people who were not out hunting, but simply outdoors, and shot by hunters who mistook them for deer. In the 53 years since Maine began keeping track, more than 200 people who have been shot by hunters have been mistaken for game. That's nearly 20% of those wounded or killed in hunting accidents. And Roberta Scruggs reported that in 2003, and I updated a little for this. The last hunting fatality of any kind in the state before Renzel's, a case of two hunters shooting at the same deer and one of them being shot by the other one's bullet, was in 2012. The last non-hunter to be shot was in 2006. The high for main hunting fatalities was in 1952 when there were 19 and 70 overall accidents. 1984 was the first year since the state began keeping track in 1940 that no one was killed. Hmm. Almost. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Almost all of the non-fatal accidents, or incidents, as the Warden service Mm. calls them, are self-inflicted. Frequently, a hunter accidentally shooting himself in the leg or foot. Hunting fatalities in the state have dropped dramatically over the past 30 years, much of it due to more laws regulating hunters. Still, every year, there are incidents. Mm. The day before we recorded this podcast, as a matter of fact, a 21-year-old hunter allegedly shot another hunter, 30 years old, in both arms in Oxford, Maine, close to where Renssel was killed. At last report, he was in serious condition. Aww. You'll frequently read that hunting is less dangerous than many of Maine's outdoor sports, like snowmobiling, for instance. Last year, nine people died in Maine snowmobile accidents, mm. and 85 were injured. The difference with non-hunter shootings like Rentsel and those who went before her is that the victims weren't participants. In most cases, they likely didn't even know someone was near them with a gun, and in most cases, they were on their own property, minding their own business, and not taking part in a hunting-related activity. Mm-hmm. Since 1987, five of the 28 hunting-related deaths in the state, including Renssel's, have been non-hunters. And by non-hunters, I mean they weren't hunting at the time. Yes. In November 1987, Harvey Smith III, 31, of New Ipswich, New Hampshire, was anxious to spend the weekend at his family's camp in the Maine woods with his fiance when he was shot to death in rope bluffs on Maine's rugged down east coast. Glenn Preston, 23, the man who shot him, said he saw a deer's front legs as it stepped into the narrow tree-lined road about 75 yards away. He was sure he saw its face and antlers. He looked down to cock his gun, and when he looked up, he saw a flash of white, the deer's tail as it headed away, he told Roberta Scruggs. He pulled the trigger, killing Smith, who had been leaning over to remove the log his family used to block their camp road. A year later, in what is the state's most notorious non-hunter hunting-related death, Karen Wood, the mother of twin daughters, was shot in her backyard. Wood and her husband, Kevin, a child psychologist, had moved to Herman, Maine, just outside Bangor, from Davenport, Iowa, in July. They lived in a small subdivision on the edge of the woods. While some reports say she was hanging out laundry, the actual reason she was outside hasn't been determined. The most likely reason is that she was shooing hunters away from her house because of the one-year-old twins inside. Mm She was wallpapering the kitchen at about 3.30 in the afternoon, the girls behind a baby gate in the dining room. Later, many who knew her said she wouldn't have left them alone for the length of time it would take to hang out clothes. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if there were clothes on the line, and that's how that started. I mean, I know it's November, but it was a beautiful, bright day, a little warm, and I've hung out clothes yeah. in November. Speculation is she saw the hunters out the window and put on her coat and white
0: mittens. Yes, I remember the white Though mittens.
1: Everybody remembers the white mittens. She walked out of the house, through a large fence dog kennel, then out a gate to the woods on the edge of the property, 189 feet from her house. Speculation is also that she waved her mitten hands at the hunters, we'll never know who were likely visible in their hunter orange on that bright afternoon. They were wearing orange? Yes, they were. Okay. It was law. You had to Oh, wear. it was law then. Okay. Yeah, yes. yeah I'll, I'll get to all that. Okay. She was shot in the chest with a .30-06 rifle. Hunter Donald Rogerson, who did not have an all-deer permit, which meant he could only shoot bucks with antlers, not does, told the warden's service after the shooting that he saw two flags, a deer's white tail, and fired. His rifle had a power scope, according to news accounts which means you should be able to really see well what you're shooting at. Quote, I can honestly say that I do not now recollect anything after the first shot after I fired at the deer at the same instant the two white flags appeared, he told a game warden. The most recent non-hunter death before Renzel's in October was in December 2006. 18-year-old Megan Ripley was target shooting with her brother on a neighbor's land in South Paris, Maine, a town not far from Hebron, where Rensel was shot, mm-hmm. when she was shot dead from 277 feet away with a 50-caliber single-shot muzzle-loading gun. Hunter Timothy Bean told investigators he thought he was shooting a d- at a deer's hindquarters.
0: It's funny they all, are, yeah, most of them are saying hindquarters. Yeah, she must have been bending over. You know, Either that he, or that's just, I don't know, yep. just the shape or something.
1: hmm In Renzel's case, the hunter Robert Trundy has been charged with manslaughter and was released on $2,500 cash bail, and he's expected to go before a grand jury sometime this month. In Smith's 1987 death and Ripley's death in 2006, the shooter was charged with manslaughter and convicted. Smith's shooter, Glenn Preston, tried to kill himself on the one-year anniversary of the accident. Because he was a convicted felon for drunk driving, he was sentenced to two and a half years in prison and served 17 months and 16 days, according to Roberta Scruggs' 2002 Lewiston Sun Journal article on the case. Ripley's shooter in 2006, and I know there's a lot of different... I may be repetitive about the year or something because there's just a lot of... No, that's fine that because I'm there's talking a about. lot, yeah. Ripley's shooter in 2006, Timothy Bean, pleaded guilty to manslaughter and was sentenced to two years, all but 30 days suspended. Mm. The same year Preston shot Smith, 1987, in a year before Wood was shot, Larry Jandro, 32, of St. Francis, shot Robert Samard of Eagle Lake in an unorganized territory of Aroostook County. The victim, Samard, was wearing a dungaree jacket and a blue cap. Hmm. Jandro was later convicted of manslaughter, sentenced to three years, all but four months suspended, plus two hours of community service. He lost his license for five years. I believe they were both hunters, but the source, the Lewiston Sun Journal, had a list of two-party hunter fatalities since 1982 that I used for some of this, but it didn't say whether the other person was a hunter or not, and I don't believe this is one of, there's five, and I don't believe this is one of them. As well, the state inland fisheries and wildlife division used to have a really nice database of hunter fatalities and accidents. They've redone the website since I last looked at it two years ago, and I could not Uh find them anymore. So I'm using material from other sources and stuff that had been on the In news stories. But in any case, I believe they were both hunters, but I'm pointing it out because the guy who was shot was not wearing orange, and that issue will come up again and again. And again, that was a year before Karen Wood Mm -hmm. was shot. Also in 1987, Dennis Allen Reynolds, 26, of Elkton, Maryland, shot Thomas C. Bachman, 26, of Wilmington, Massachusetts, in Pleasant Ridge Plantation in Somerset County. That's another northern area of Maine. Reynolds, like Rogerson, was acquitted of manslaughter. Bachman had a blaze, orange vest, and hat, but they were on the ground beside him at the time he was shot, and... I believe he was a hunter as well. And again, I bring that up because Dennis Reynolds was acquitted. And maybe it's because the two of them were from away. Nobody really paid much attention. We'll talk
0: about that later, too.
1: Yes. So those were the three fatal hunting accidents that happened the year before Wood was shot. And incidentally, that was the last year that there were that many hunting accidents Mm -hmm. in the state. There have been several years where there's only been one. There have been, there were a couple of years after that where there were two. There have been stretches recently when there haven't been any. In Wood's case in 1988, a grand jury a month after the shooting did not indict the hunter, Rogerson. That set off a firestorm in the state, a conflict depicted in much of the press as traditional Mainers versus people from away who don't understand Maine's culture. That perception, fueled by stories in such national publications as the New York Times, but also promoted here in Maine. Mm-hmm. Is an oversimplification, of course. The controversy continued to rage and is remembered well even now because Rogerson was indicted a year later on manslaughter charges, but then was acquitted, his October 1990 trial. Mm -hmm. Our parents lived in Ellsworth, Maine at the time, which was about 20 miles east of Herman, where the... Accident and happened. I, I remember. the trial. Right. And uh, Becky, I was going to say, I think you lived there in 1990 during yes. the trial. And we'll and it talk was, about it later. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. It was all people talked about. Yeah. People still talk about it. If you bring up the white mittens, yes. Hunter, people. Yes. A New York Times article written in 1989 after the first grand jury refused to indict and before the 1989 indictment and 1990 trial said the information about the case, including whatever evidence had been found, was not released to the public because it was still under investigation, but that helped fuel the fire. The New York Times reporter, James Howard Kunstler, talked extensively to Wood's husband, Kevin Wood, who was a child psychologist at Eastern Maine Medical Center in Bangor. He was also a hunter, by the way. Yes. Something that I don't think came out in a lot of the stories.
0: They were
1: were originally from Binghamton, New York, which were. Her family
0: was hunters too.
1: And that's right, and that's a rural area. Well, that area, upstate New York, Mm -hmm. it's just north of Pennsylvania in western New York, and it's fairly rural, and there's a lot of hunting out there. He moved out of state in the months after the shooting. Kevin Wood told the New York Times reporter that wardens at the scene told him, and again, this was before a lot of information came out at the trial after the indictment, but this was before that. Wardens at the scene told him there was no evidence at all of a buck being there. No scat, no tree rubbing or tracks, no fur, no blood. There was, however, a small line of saplings, leafless in November. Their limbs could possibly look like antlers. One of them was directly next to where Karen Wood was standing, and it was shattered by one of Rogerson's Mm. two shots. Rogerson's references to seeing the two white flags would mean he thought it was a deer's rear end, the same thing Smith and Renssel's shooters both thought. Kunstler of the Times wrote, would he have fired at a deer's rump? This is considered bad hunting practice because it does not ensure clean, quick kill, and it also rips the best meat to shreds. And this was before, and I'll talk about it in a little bit, Maine's deer identification law. The New York Times story continued. After the second shot, Rogerson hurried across the clearing where he discovered Karen Wood Mm. crumpled on the ground. He said he then lost his motor functions and soiled his pants. Mm. He bent down to Karen Wood. At first, he was relieved to see only a little spot of blood on her shoulder, but then he discovered the wound in her upper right chest. Wood was still breathing, but with difficulty. Rogerson put some kind of compress, and the Times has that in quotes, so I'm not sure what what they, they mean, mean her. on her wound and scream for an ambulance, no doubt in a state of panic. He picked her up and then put her down a few steps later. Meanwhile, his hunting partner, Peter Anderson, ran to neighbor Cheryl Hamlin's house for help. Remember, this was 1988, so nobody had a cell no phone.
0: No one had cell phones,
1: no. Other articles about the shooting cite the fact that Rogerson's screams of anguish, he's the hunter, could be heard a mile away.
0: They could.
1: They could have both the New York Times and a 1989 Yankee magazine article which was rerun in shorter form this past November in the magazine and I'll put those up on our website. Oh uh, yeah, very soon, will. very soon.
0: Pointed Along out with all the other stuff.
1: Yeah, I got it cuz I'm getting so far behind. But anyway, pointed out that much was written about Rogerson, little about Wood. Mm-hmm. Her husband had left for their native Binghamton, New York with her body just days after the shooting. Since they just moved there months before, few knew them. And before Kevin left, he was in no condition to talk to the press. But I also attribute it to bad low hanging fruit reporting. It's easy to find people to talk about one person. It's not easy to find people to talk about the other person, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. They could have talked. They could have found, they could have found out more about her, definitely. And then it's another situation where the same information is being repeated. Yeah. And, yeah. But Yankee Magazine wrote more than one front page story featured tearful apologies from Rogerson. And also I want to I want people well before I get too far into this to understand I'm not demeaning the hunters or the pain they probably felt at well, what happened. I, know. I
0: can't imagine I can't imagine how you would feel.
1: Right. But this story is about why this happens and what happens and therefore it's probably a little more victim focused and hunting focused than how bad the hunters feel about it. Okay. I just I just don't want people to think I'm
0: Anti, right, anti. I mean, because it is a tragedy for both people. It Obviously, is. the per- people they've who all felt their, their family members. but and I can't imagine how particularly that
1: in Roberta Scruggs' articles, which are PDFs. So I'll see if I can figure out how to put them up to our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was very nice to share them with me. She talks about the pain the the hunters felt because well,
0: you're not out. I mean, it's not like you're out there meaning to kill a person. Right, you don't, don't want to kill a person, and you actually think that. I mean, yeah, so and we'll, we'll get into we'll
1: that. Get into yeah, that, yeah. Rogerson who it was headlined was a scoutmaster in Bangor who led his scouts up Mount Katahdin, was called a wonderful, kind person and other nice things by people. One report opened by setting the scene at the supermarket where Rogerson is the produce manager, Doug's shop and save. Mm -hmm. It described customers lining up to shake the hunter's hand and make offers of prayers and support right after the shooting, as if he were somehow the victim. And again, this is Yankee Magazine, not Maureen. While Kevin had been silent, this is still Yankee Magazine, Donald Rogerson had talked, and graphic details of his experience emerged. Quote, I almost fainted when I came up on her, he told one reporter. I messed my pants. What didn't emerge, again, this is still Yankee, were the details that mattered. What he was shooting at, how long he'd been in the woods, how many shots he'd fired, whether or not there were any deer seen nearby. One warden excited much comment by saying Rogerson may have mistaken her white mittens for the tail of a deer. Yep. That one warden saying that made this overlooking the fact that Rogerson was hunting for buck and needed to identify the head, not the That's tail, right. of the deer before shooting. And
0: we'll talk about that later. Too. We
1: certainly will. What Rogerson did say over and over was how sorry he was to almost anyone who would listen.
0: Yeah, can you blame him?
1: No. No. He didn't know he was so close to houses. He thought he was shooting into deer, he said. That was Yankee magazine.
0: The New York Times
1: article points out, by the way, that with the leaves off the trees and the bright sunny day, the sun hadn't yet begun to set. The bright white of the next-door neighbor's house should have been easily seen through the trees, and Rogerson and his hunting companion parked on the residential street before they went into the woods. So he knew houses were there.
0: Yeah, because you said it was like a development, right? Yes.
1: And the trees, the the woods weren't really thick where they were. I mean, the main woods can be very, very thick. You can't see two feet in front of you. But these were smaller trees and saplings by her house, small, just planted Mm -hmm. trees because it was a subdivision. Yankee Magazine, back to them, continued, in letters and guest editorials to the Bangor Daily News, and that would be the main newspaper that would have covered this at the time, the Portland Press-Herald wasn't statewide, at the time. and That's right. Though many sympathize with Karen, some readers took issue with the fact that she was wearing white mittens. Uh-huh. And why wasn't she wearing blaze orange? As anyone who lives in Maine knows well enough to do during hunting season. That's Yankee. And I do want to say as someone who has a house in rural Maine, that um, I have a blaze, blaze orange vest I got from Rennie's. And if you go for a walk, and a lot of people even have little vests for their dogs. If you live in rural Maine... You wear it. In fact, I was delivering yeah, phone if, books.
0: Yeah, but if you're just going
1: to... Yeah, let me let me finish. If you're... Like, I was delivering phone books last year, and, and I wore it then and stuff, because you can hear gunshots, and you don't want to get shot. That's rural Maine. Even though this was a small... Herman was a small town. It was basically a suburb of Bangor. And I can't say... I I, I rarely see anyone in the city that wearing a place on That was also orange.
0: part of it, too. And she was in her yard. <laughs> yes, she was in her yard and part of it is because of her case. Yes. That people are more cognizant yes. and, wa- and, and, and we'll and
1: we'll again orange. get to that. But I yeah, I wanted to point out that the assumption that everyone goes around and blaze orange for a month is just I never a, a do, false assumption. But I don't live in a rural And place. I don't wear it when I'm in my yard No, in my house in central Maine. If I was going for a walk with the dog I'd yeah. wear it or a hike in the woods, and yes. I wouldn't hike in the woods during hunting season except for on Sunday mm-hmm. when hunting is illegal, but people still do it.
0: People do it. Did you know this is totally off topic, but I didn't realize that you can shoot a coyote any time. Any yes, comedy. I knew that. Yes. I didn't know that. From
1: watching Northwood's Law. Oh, will see. I
0: never watched
1: that. I used to watch it, but I have issues. I think we yes, talked we about that. we talked them. about it. But in any case, this is still um, Yankee Magazine. Okay. It was as if they were saying that Karen was to blame for her death. and we they were blaming Mhm and there were overtones of provincialism
0: yes is there often are in
1: maine she was from away and didn't know enough to keep herself out of trouble one guest column by theodore levitt began by saying that karen's death illustrated several important issues quote the most important of which are the development of what were traditionally wilderness areas and the influx of large numbers of people who do not share or understand the traditional views and values of native Mainers. Fuck her. Unquote. It's a hymn, Theodore. Love I it. I thought you said Theodora. No. Fuck him. Fuck him. He went on to question Karen's, quote, common sense going into the woods dressed as she was. The New York Times quoted the paper's outdoor columnist. Now Theodore Levitt was a guest column. Uh. The paper's outdoor columnist, Tom Hennessy, who wrote that if she quote had been wearing one piece of blaze orange clothing, she'd be alive today. Maybe, maybe not. As we saw the year before, the, somebody wearing blaze orange was killed. There was.
0: I was going to say there was. There have been several times, yes. not just killed but shot. Right. So.
1: Although sometimes that's hunters, two hunters shooting at the same deer, but still you're supposed to see the orange. In any case, we'll get to that. Hennessy still defends his position, the New York Times wrote 10 months later. Quote, if she'd been killed out in her backyard by a limb falling out of a tree, people would have said, isn't that a terrible thing, he told the reporter. But there would have been nowhere near the response because of it being hunting related. That's because a tree can't control. <laughs> this is Maureen. An evil tree. A tree can't control what it does. A human being can. Duh. Quote, I don't think he was callous and uncaring said V. Paul Reynolds, the paper's managing editor at the time, and now in 2017, a freelance outdoors writer remain. Oh. He writes a column that's printed in many publications. How old is he? Wicked. He was re- referring to Hennessy at the time. Yeah. Quote, I think he was trying to point out that the woman, even though she might have been on the edge of her woods, put herself at risk by going into the woods dressed the way she was dressed. See,
0: and I want to interject right now the way he worded that. I think there was some sexism involved. Oh, Yes. Yes. and we'll talk about that later. But I know people think that I think that all the time. But it's because yeah. it
1: happens all the time. Yeah. Okay. So go I on. I think it a lot too. <laughs> One Bangor newspaperman who didn't want his name used told Yankee the bullet that killed Karen Wood killed any rational debate about hunting safety. The thing that shocked me was the spontaneous effort to to air every justification every mitigation of the tragedy, and every reason why the victim might be to blame. There were also letters to the editor of the Bangor Daily News with that point of view. Mm-hmm. Quote, I'm stunned that there could be so much public equivocation about what happened that afternoon, and I'm especially disturbed by oblique references to Mrs. Wood's out-of-state-or-roots, wrote one unhappy Bangorite. That must
0: be someone from away. According to the Thing New York Times. Big words. I know. He says them, them educated. <laughs> them educated. <laughs>
1: Eastern elitists. Quote, as a native old family Mainer, I am ashamed wrote another. Ooh. Still, when the acquittal was announced on the loudspeaker at a Bangor football game in 1990, the crowd cheered. I
0: bet they did.
1: Kevin Wood um. also settled out of court shortly after on a wrongful death civil action against Rodgers, and the New York Times reported. The settlement for $122,000 was quickly reached. Rogerson's homeowner's insurance company paid his policy limit of $100,000, plus $2,000 medical benefits. Rogerson himself paid $20,000 out-of-pocket. Even though court records show that his savings account contained only $200 and he owned little besides two 20-year-old snowmobiles and an even more ancient 15-foot powerboat. Had a lawsuit gone to trial, Rogerson would have had the option of declaring bankruptcy, Kevin Wood's lawyer told his client and the whole thing might easily take years to resolve. So Wood was advised to settle quickly. And I seem to remember some criticism of that. Remember that. And my guess is, Rogerson was able, and I, this is speculation on my part, maybe I should stay away, but my guess is he was able to raise money from I was wondering, sympathetic from supporters.
0: Yeah, One thing I remember about that is how contrite he was, and how he, w- he was very upset. I'm he was. sure if he could have paid them a million dollars, he would have. I mean, I yes. think he was, he, he was upset.
1: At the time Wood was killed, Maine's hunting laws regarding what happened, if you shot and killed a person were not clear. Mm -hmm. If you said you thought the person was a deer, it was a $200 fine with no jail sentence and your your hunting license was not even suspended in most
0: cases. At the time the argument was If he had shot a doe, he would have gotten more greater punishment than shooting a human He would have. He would have had his license
1: suspended and been fined. I can't remember what the amount was, but it was more. Though hunters were charged and convicted at the time, Glenn Preston, the man who shot Harvey Smith III the year before Wood was shot, was one of them, as well as the other hunter who was convicted that year. It was arbitrary. It's interesting that there wasn't the outpouring of support for Preston a year before, as there was for Rogerson, Wood's shooter. Could it be because Preston, who at 23 was a convicted drunk driving felon, mm-hmm. not a beloved community member, and lived in Washington County on the far fringes of the Bangor Daily News' coverage area? When you talk about down East Maine, that that... But one thing Karen Wood's death did, though it may not be obvious to those who remember the debate... Was radically changed Maine's inconsistent hunting laws where homicide was involved. And again, I just want to remind people: homicide is when one person kills another person. It doesn't necessarily mean murder or. Paul Jakes, who was deputy commissioner of the State Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife, which oversees the Warden Service,
0: That's a
1: mouthful. I know, in 2008 told the Bangor Daily News that her death led to more change of hunting law than anything that had ever come before it, including those 19 dead guys in 1952. I know. Before, if someone shot another hunter, quote, it was pretty much accepted if the explanation was, I thought it was a deer and I fired and I killed a guy. Jake said that although the attitude may be hard to understand now, at the time there was little effort to change the status quo. Quote, I'll tell you, for the most part... Generally, people in the state, as long as a deer hunter was shooting another deer hunter, and they weren't hunters, they didn't care, Jake said. Hmm.
0: Maine? (laughs) I'm going into
1: one of my things here. Maine is the biggest state in New England, but it's not really a big state at all. Yeah. One of the reasons hunting accidents are such big news in the state is the state's size. In a state that has 16 homicides last year, anytime someone shoots someone else, it's news. Yeah. The state also is largely rural and has a hunting culture. Much of the game shot is used to help feed the family Mm -hmm. for the winter. The State Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife also has a program in which hunters can donate their game to feed the states hungry. Yes, they do. Of which there are many, as Mm -hmm. we know. The state also depends on hunting to help manage its wildlife. While this may seem cruel to those unfamiliar, overabundance on wildlife have lost many natural predators over the past century, leads to health and safety problems for all the state's residents. Oh, well, like Lyme disease. Yes, that's a big one. And other things, you know, it hurts the ecosystem. If there's too many deer eating too much flora, then other species can't. Yeah. You know, it's a big... Maine's hunting regulations came slowly. After World War II, veterans were issued free hunting licenses. Um, yeah. And the woods became a free-for-all. Think for a minute of the logic of giving a gun to a man who may have spent years in combat and telling him he can go out and shoot things. There were an average of 29 hunting accidents a year in the 1940s, including an average of 9.9 deaths every year. That's a lot. That's in the 40s. In the 1950s, that rose to 52 accidents average a year and 10.7 deaths a year. Again, I think it was mostly hunters killing hunters. They didn't really start keeping track of non hunting. It's a very hard stat to find,
0: yeah in
1: nineteen seventy three the state began requiring hunters to wear hunter orange at the time it was one piece. it was later revised to two pieces of orange. A note here, and I know we talked about earlier about people wearing it in rural areas. I just want to make it clear. It's hunters who are required to wear orange, not people who aren't hunting. The guy who painted like, cow on the side you of his cow. You're saying that
0: people do it with dogs, but I've also seen horses yes. grazing yes. that have little, like, orange hats. Or orange yes, orange on. little
1: blankets like, on them. Yeah. And, yeah, I had little orange vests for my dogs, what but dog? Emma Emma wouldn't wear one. Aww. My little dog, I Emma, mean, she was a Corgi-Shelty mix, and she, she would not... So cute. She would not wear that vest. Hunters for decades, including at the time of Woods' death, are required to be more than 300 feet from a residence. Rogerson was 319 feet from Woods' home when he shot her. When Woods was shot, quote, the proverbial manure hit the fan, Paul Jake said. And people said, enough is enough. As long as you guys were killing each other, we didn't care. But when you start involving an innocent housewife hanging her clothes... Something's got to be done. And again, he thought she was hanging her clothes, too. Who didn't? The Maine legislature acted quickly and decisively after Wood's death. Several lawmakers, including Jakes, who represented Waterville at the time she was shot, worked with Warden John Marsh to determine what could be done to make laws and enforcement more consistent. The big issue, they discovered, with the Wood shooting, was game identification and hunter conduct. Seven months after Rogerson was acquitted in 1990, a new law set a standard of conduct that a prudent hunter must abide by that would make prosecution of hunting deaths more consistent, including a requirement to identify various parts of an animal before shooting yeah. and to know what lies beyond the target before pulling the trigger, like even another hunter or something.
0: No shit. Yeah.
1: It also changed the way the warden service investigates such deaths. Before Wood's death, the first warden on the scene would be the lead investigator, even if he was a rookie with no experience. The service soon changed that, giving some wardens special investigative training and putting them in charge of those cases. Quote, My feeling has always been that as a hunter in the woods, someone ought to be able to run around the woods buck naked or dressed in brown from head to toe, and they should not be subject to being shot. I do that all the time. I know. Because they didn't have fluorescent orange on, Jake, told the Bangor Daily News in 2008. So the Bangor Daily News said in that 2008 story, and it was done on the 20th anniversary of her death, the age-old, I thought it was a dear excuse, was no longer accepted. Or was it? Still, laws don't change people. And one thing you learn talking to hunters is they are desperate to get that one deer they're allowed every year. On November 12, 1990, before the new ID law went into effect, Leroy M. Sabine of Hudson shot Mark Ratcliffe, 40, also of Hudson. Ratcliffe was chopping wood next to a wood splitter. He was wearing Blaze Orange. Sabine was convicted of manslaughter and failing to render aid, and remember that a little later, and was sentenced to five years in prison on each count. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, I couldn't find a good article about it because it was 1990, but I'm wondering how much the backlash from the Karen Wood thing led to him being sentenced that harshly. The identification law had been around for 16 years, though, in 2006, when the next non-hunter fatality occurred in the state. Megan Ripley and her boyfriend were going to go public with their engagement on January 1, 2007, her father's birthday, according to her December 10, 2006 obituary. She had a tender heart for both people and animals, her obituary said. One of her dreams was to own a horse. And this past spring, after long and careful searching, her father bought a horse for her to ride and care for. Her dog, Mocha was also dear to her heart. And even though he became blind, she cared for him with great diligence and gentleness. This is still the obit. Most of Megan's short life was spent with her brothers. I think I read somewhere she had three of them. I don't have the whole obit here. They loved to play football in the yard, go four-wheeling, go skiing, fly kites, anything outside. They did everything together. They were best friends. And it also said she was happy when one of her older brothers got married because she got the sister that she never had. She was shot in the waning days of the 2006 muzzleloader deer season, which goes a little longer than the rifle season, and the waning minutes of that day's legal hunting at 4 p.m., 24 minutes before sundown. Her brother Andy heard a shot and initially thought his gun had gone off because they had been target shooting, before realizing that his sister had been shot in the chest. She told her brother to go get their father. The hunter, neighbor Timothy Bean, came upon the scene and took responsibility immediately, according to news reports. Bean used the cell phone belonging to Megan's father to call 911. Megan Ripley had been wearing jeans and a gray sweatshirt at the time. Bean told investigators that he thought he was shooting at the rear end of a deer, but he also said that he didn't make additional checks to confirm his target. Quote, Mr. Bean did not act as a reasonable and prudent hunter, said Prosecutor Lisa Marchese, referring to the wording of the state's hunting laws. Marchese said his action was a violation of the state's target identification law, passed after Wood died, which requires a hunter to have an unobstructed view of a deer's head and torso before shooting. Not its ass, fellas. The Ripley family was generous and forgiving. Mm. Jerry Brown, Megan's mother, posted a message in an online forum asking people to keep Bean and his family in their prayers. I dare say they are having a much harder time with all of this than we are, she wrote. Which I'm like, really? <laughs> Your daughter? Yeah. I cannot even begin to imagine how this man must feel. Defense attorney Edward Dilworth III said, and this is from a Lewiston Sun Journal story or Bangor Daily News, I can't remember at the time. They're both remarkable families who can forgive each other in such a situation. Keep that in mind as we get into this a little. Right. Assistant A.G. Marchese told the court the agreed-upon sentence with the defense was two years but all but 30 days suspended. She said the recommendation was based on review of past cases involving hunting fatalities and, quote, the generosity and spirit of the Ripley family who did not want Mr. Bean's life ruined. Mm -hmm. The Ripley family, after the conviction, proposed another law to make non-hunters safer, one that has gained no traction in the 11 years since. Maine has another peculiarity, and it stems from the Great Ponds Act of 1640. Don't worry, this won't be a long history lesson but it stated basically that fishermen and fowl hunters could cross private property to get to a lake to fish obviously this was before supermarkets and people had to fish to feed themselves mm-hmm. 1640 when maine was still part of massachusetts wow. but That's over the years but over the years it has set a legal precedent that unless your land is posted hunters can hunt on it mm-hmm. the state inland fisheries and wildlife department strongly suggests hunters ask permission but they don't have to hmm. A lot of Maine's privately owned land is owned by timber companies and people who aren't there. A lot, but not all. Yeah. The Ripley's proposed a law that that would require hunters to get permission from landowners before carrying weapons onto their property. So far, that law hasn't gone anywhere. And that was 11 years ago. While the Ripley family was incredibly forgiving and Bean took responsibility, Timothy Bean, his family has continually harassed the Ripleys, who are their next-door neighbors, over the years. A brother, Anthony Bean, was charged in December 2015 with being a felon in possession of a firearm, OUI, which is operating under the influence, and other things after he was stopped by main game wardens from crossing the Ripley's property to get to his brother Steven's hunting camp, a trailer that's on the other side of the Bean's property. Those charges came after he'd been charged with trespassing and had other issues with the Ripley's to the point that the wardens were monitoring the Ripley's land. What the fuck? Yeah, well, it, it gets better. The December 2015 charges came after a trespass enforcement detail on November 21st of that year found Bean on the Ripleys' posted property. The Ripleys had posted their property after Megan was shot. Which means you can't go on it. After that arrest, other members of Bean's family tore down no trespassing signs and no hunting postings on the Ripleys' property. In July 2016, a sister, Kimberly Bean and she's in her 40s, was issued a summons for trespassing after police said she went on Ripley's posted land. She had been told not to return after her involvement with tearing down the signs. Bean told police, Kimberly Bean did, that she was concerned cameras attached to neighbor Joshua Labonte's house were pointing at her family's home and that she'd enter Ripley's land to document the cameras. Joshua Labonte, by the way, owned the land that Megan was on when she was shot. He had bought the land from the Ripleys, so he was another neighbor. Am friendly with the Ripleys. Labonte confronted Bean when she was on there, apparently documenting the cameras. <laughs> and by the way, it's not against the law to have cameras pointed at your neighbor's house and told Ripley... I know, I have all... I know. I know. And Labonte told Ripley she'd been there, and Ripley reported it to police. Timothy Bean, by the way, has never been connected with the actions of his okay, family. That's what I was going to ask you. And it's not clear what motivates them to behave in such a repugnant way against people who showed their brother such mercy after he shot their that. child. I
0: know.
1: It could have to do with this. In 2014, Troy Ripley, Megan's father, told Paris, and that's Paris, Maine, not France... They're much different. Code Enforcement Officer Fred Collins, Jr., the Bean brothers had removed posted signs, entered his land, and defecated on his property. Stephen Bean owns the camper on their property that they used as a hunting camp, and it was right near the Ripley property line. Between June and October 2014, Stephen Bean was sent four letters from the town's Code Enforcement Officer and its attorneys urging him to stop using an outdoor latrine he had created on the border between his property and the Ripleys according to the Bangor Daily News. And apparently all the shit didn't stay in the latrine either, from what some of the articles said. Quote, It has been brought to my attention that you or your guests may be defecating illegally on your neighbor's property, Collins wrote in a June letter to Stephen Bean. Please cease immediately or legal action will be taken. An attorney for the town, Philip Saucier, again wrote Stephen Bean in October, urging him to follow the town's health and safety codes, Eventually, Stephen Bean had a portable toilet installed. No
0: shit. Get one of those humus toilets or something. Yeah, I know.
1: Well, I think part of it was they were just being assholes. (laughs) Yeah, The Bean brothers and another man, David Foster, pleaded guilty to charges related to their harassment of the Ripleys in 2015. And by the way, harassment is my word and not a legal term. I just didn't want to go through all the charges. The Bangor Daily News reported in December 2015 that the woods surrounding the camper, which is less than 100 yards away from where Megan Ripley was shot, is scattered with signs of firearms target practice, including empty beer cans that have been blasted by shotguns. Troy Ripley's attempts to try to strengthen landowner rights and public safety laws since Megan's death have had little impact. Quote, in the nine years since my daughter's death, there has been no significant headway in protecting private property or public safety, Ripley said to the Bangor Daily News in 2015. He had retired back to Paris where he was from with his wife and kids after a 20-year career in the Army that included special forces. Nothing anyone says or writes is going to fix the pain he and his family continue to endure in the wake of Megan's death, he said. What he wants is for state policymakers and others, especially those in the hunting community, to reconsider the resistance to some law changes that he says more and more people can see as common sense, fair and practical, the Bangor Daily News wrote. Ripley is a firearms expert. He said he's not against hunting or hunters and he even allowed a friend to hunt on parts of his property this year because, and that was 2015, because the friend wanted to teach his son how to hunt. He said the ongoing issue with the Beans fuels much of his frustration, anger, and disappointment. Ripley, for instance, would like laws put in place that would make sure firearms hunting licenses are not issued to felons who are already prohibited from possessing firearms, which was an issue I think So
0: they're not allowed to have firearms, but they can get a hunting license?
1: Which was an issue with Anthony Bean. Well, let me go on. Well, a hunting license applicant must attest that he or she is not a felon. Those who issue hunting licenses, including the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife's online system don't have the means to check an applicant against the state's criminal background system. Huh. Now, this was in 2015, and I admit, I didn't check to see in two years if it's been fixed. That system, by the way, is accessible to both the public for a fee and law enforcement for free. The only time a hunter's felony status is checked is when they are being investigated for a possible game violation or other crime by a warden. Huh. According to officials at both the Warden Service and the Attorney General's Office, Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife spokes Mark Laddie said about 60% of all fishing game licenses in Maine are now purchased online. A system that not only can't verify the applicant is not a felon, but can't confirm the applicant took a certified hunter safety course yeah, when re- and that's it... required too. Ripley said what you know should... what they
0: should do is make you take the course online and then you get your... There you go.
1: Ripley said that's what true. should happen is that the hunter should be denied a license at the point of application if he or she is a felon and can't show proof of attending a hunter safety course. No shit. Ripley hasn't gotten much support, including from former state. Senator David Trahan who is also a lobbyist and was executive director of the sportsmen's alliance of Maine which is a big deal in the state yes, and he's often the spokesman for hunting issues and he said his organization is all for keeping felons from obtaining hunting licenses, but he is leery of any kind of law that would require what some will see as a criminal background check for all hunting licenses in Maine. Uh, Trahan and some in the legislature, who the BDN talked to, have pointed out that requiring hunters to seek permission to access unposted private land has been before lawmakers before, and the proposal has never gained any headway. It's complicated, they said. Trahan said the situation in Maine where many private owners of large parcels of land don't even live on their land, makes written permission difficult. He also said both of Ripley's proposals would be highly controversial, and most hunters already seek permission when hunting on private land. He also said Ripley's experience with some of his neighbors may be a worst-case scenario, but it is also reflective of people who have no regard for the law. Quote, Honest people are going to be okay with the background check, Trahan said, but the dishonest people just don't care. I would turn this right around and say this is really an example of when bad people want something, they just go ahead and do it and they don't give a crap about the law. Ripley said such answers fail to acknowledge public safety concerns and are an excuse to not even try to improve a system that is so obviously porous that it all but invites abuse, according to the BDN. He argued that even youth sports programs require volunteer coaches to submit to criminal background checks to ensure they aren't a danger to children. And I even, this is Maureen, had to undergo a background check and fingerprinting to teach adult ed because I'd be in a school even though kids wouldn't be in the school when I was there. And it was a high school. Ripley says it makes no sense that there wouldn't be the same standard, the youth coach standard, not what I just said, (laughs) for anybody who wants to carry a deadly weapon onto another person's private property to hunt. Ripley said policymakers often are too quick to promise a solution and then not deliver or to dismiss out-of-hand problems because finding a solution is deemed too difficult. He said he doesn't accept those kinds of answers and wonders why others would.
0: Well, you know, it's the same thing. It's the same kind of argument people use against gun control. and It's like, then why do we have laws at all?
1: I know. Why have like, them? Because good people will we'll just, just always do, do good exactly. things and
0: bad people will always do bad things. So what's the point of having laws?
1: But since that article was written in 2015, Ripley's proposals still haven't gotten any traction with the legislature. A law was passed last year that registered Maine guides have to report if they've been convicted of a crime. That carried a sentence of a year or more, a felony. And that's a re- if you're a registered Maine and guide.
0: Can you explain what a registered Maine guide is?
1: Yeah, like you have to um, you get certified. <laughs> yes, you do. You, you get certified, and um, I'm not sure what all the requirements are, but then you can sell your services as a guide for fishing or hunting or Ooh. other outdoors things.
0: I'm gonna do that.
1: Yeah, why don't we do that? Another law that passed prohibits people who are hunting from destroying, tearing down, defacing, or otherwise damaging property, posting signs. Yeah. If the hunter's convicted, he or she loses their license, their hunting or fishing license, they can't try to get another one for a year. In the case of Karen Rensel, the woman who was shot this year, another issue has arisen. A 1998 law requires a hunter to do what they can to help the person they shot. And I think it stems from that 1990 shooting of the guy who was splitting wood, although I couldn't find much about that, except for the bare minimum. failure to. he he was he he was sentenced to five years for failure to render aid. Main game warden Anthony Gray in his affidavit in the Rentsel shooting said that Trundy, the man who shot her, said he heard someone scream after he fired the shots that hit Rentsel. Now remember when I tell the story that he's 38 years old, not 14 years. He thought to himself, "Dear, don't do that." Gray wrote in the affidavit. Trundy had walked about three quarters of the way to Rentsel when he saw Rake leaning against a rock. At that point, according to the affidavit, he suspected he had shot someone, but he couldn't bring himself to walk the rest of the way. Honestly, I couldn't go down there, he told Gray. If I don't see it, it's out of my mind. I don't think he was being flippant when he said that. I I think he was trying to explain. Instead of rendering aid to Karen, Robert called his father by phone and told him he, Robert, thought he just shot someone, Gray wrote. Ralph Trundy. 69, told a warden he instructed his son on the phone to go look at his target because if it's a person, you have to call 911. Or yeah. I have to call 911. Ralph Trundy walked to where his son was had seen the rake and discovered Renzel's unresponsive body. He told his son to call 911. Rolling Renzel's body over, Ralph Trundy, this is the dad, said he could see a wound on her hip and tried to stop the bleeding, and he attempted CPR. According to the affidavit, Robert Trundy said it took his father three or four minutes to arrive, but Ralph Trundy told the warden it took him about 10 or 15 mm. minutes to reach the scene where Renzel was shot. Trunny's defense attorney, Scott Lynch, cautioned the Bangor Daily News... After Trundy's bail hearing, the affidavits tell only one side of a story in a court case. In 1989, the New York Times wrote that a co-worker of Karen Wood's husband, Kevin, Tim Rogers, went to Doug's shop-and-save where Rogerson, the hunter, worked to pick up some groceries on the day after the shooting. There was a line of people standing there, all patting him on the back, telling him it was okay, that it wasn't his fault, Rogers recalled. I waited online and shook his hand and said I was a friend of Kevin's, and that I held him totally responsible, and said the thing he should do is admit publicly that it was his fault. He said, no, I couldn't understand it because I wasn't there. The New York Times wrote, from the very first, Rogerson had admitted that a bullet from his rifle killed Karen Wood. He said he was deeply sorry many times, but he maintained all along that it was pure accident, that the moment he squeezed the trigger, he held a deer in, it in his sights. Criminal negligence exists whenever a hunter is not absolutely certain what he's shooting at, said Jeffrey Heim, the assistant attorney general in charge of the case. People are not charged with these crimes because they're bad people, but because they make errors in judgment. Fernand La Rochelle, deputy attorney general in charge of the criminal division, said, Unless you know you're shooting at a deer, then as far as I'm concerned, that presents us with a case that we're going to take to the grand jury. And that was Wood. The jury in Wood's case in 1990 told reporters that they acquitted Rogerson because they believe he saw a deer, and it must have run in front of Wood because oh, he was sure he saw that. a deer. Yeah, I
0: remember that now.
1: Trendy's yeah. attorney in the most recent Rensel case, Scott Lynch, told the Bangor Daily News in early November that Trendy was very certain he was shooting at a deer. He added that he was not concerned about the statutory elements of the manslaughter charge because I think we'll be able to demonstrate with experts what my client thought he saw. Roberta Scruggs, the reporter for the Lewiston Sun Journal in 2002, wrote about the phenomenon of hunters seeing a deer but shooting a person. Her article also appeared in Yankee Magazine, kind of altered, a year later. She said it must be proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the person's conduct was a gross deviation from what a reasonable person would do. Not just negligent, Scruggs writes, but grossly negligent. When firing the dangerous weapon is reasonable, the person is hunting, it's difficult to prove gross negligence, beyond a reasonable doubt. She writes that the shooter himself may not know the truth. Glenn Preston, the man who shot Harvey Smith in 1987, quote, has a vivid memory of the deer he saw, but he's also painfully aware that deer was nothing but a tragic illusion, Scruggs writes. And I'm going to read a little from her article. Glenn Preston's memory replays the scene over and over, always with the same terrible ending. After an unsuccessful day of hunting, he was walking down a rarely used camp road just before dusk on November 9, 1987. He heard a branch snap and looked up. He spotted a deer's front legs as it stepped into the narrow tree-lined road about 75 yards away. Then he saw the deer's face and its antlers. He looked down to... He looked down to cock his gun, and when he raised his eyes again, he saw a flash of white and figured it was the deer's tail as it headed away. So he fired. I heard this ungodly, terrible sound, Preston said, his voice breaking. His memory of that deer is still clear, yet it coexists with another memory, one so painful that Preston still can't think about it without tears. I never do forget it, he said. I'll never forget it. Preston had killed Harvey Smith the third. 31, a New Hampshire man who was taking his fiancée to the family's camp in Rope Bluffs. Smith was wearing a brown coat and pale beige hat and had leaned over to move a log that blocked the camp road when his family was away. When the shot hit him, Smith fell forward saying, I've been hit, oh my god. Preston never heard those quiet words. He was trying to figure out the source of that real weird, real high-pitched, strange noise like I'd never heard before in my life. At first he thought he wounded the deer in the lungs and it was crying out in pain, but then he heard something in that sound that was even more horrifying. I heard a word, Preston said. I can't tell you what word it was, but I heard a word, and I said, Oh, no, what's happened? When the scene finally came into focus, Preston saw Smith lying on the ground, and standing beside him was his fiancée, nearly invisible in the dim light, dressed in navy blue, of the tree-shaded road. Scruggs says the most baffling cases are the ones in which a hunter mistakes a human being for a deer, a bear, a fox, or even a partridge. Some hunters, like myself, have a very difficult time trying to figure out how somebody can be mistaken for game, said David Knotts, executive director of the International Hunters Education Association in Colorado. Not only is someone more likely to see what he wants to see, He's also more likely to remember what he wants to remember, said Dr. John Rady, a clinical professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. When Rady, author of A User's Guide to the Brain, lectures about perception and memory, he often quotes baseball legend Yogi Berra's odd but insightful statement. I wouldn't have seen it if I wouldn't have believed it. That's the truth, Rady said. Our perception is so guided by what we expect to see. Our brains receive visual information in millions of fragmented bits. Only the bits from the very center of the eye come in clearly while the messages sent come from our peripheral vision are fuzzy. Yet what we see appears in what Rady calls a seamless, detailed reality. We fill in the gaps, he said. I use the example of a white picket fence because everybody can understand that. If you see a dog on the other side of a white picket fence, you don't see the dog chopped up. You see the whole dog. It's your brain doing that. As it receives the bits of information, the brain compares them to patterns stored in memory. When it has enough bits for a match, the object is recognized. But sometimes when the brain fills in the gaps, it guesses wrong. Just imagine one of those visual games that keep moviegoers from getting restless before the film begins. A puzzle of a star's face appears piece by piece. At some point, the lips, the eyes, the hairline seem familiar enough so that you say Cameron Diaz. If you're wrong and it's really Gwyneth Paltrow, there's no harm done. But if you're a hunter and you guess too quickly, the consequences could be fatal. The reason Blaze Orange has been so successful in reducing hunting accidents, Rady said, is that it short-circuits that process. Because it's so different, it startles you. You're not going to fill in the picture, Rady said. You're going to say, oh my God, no. But when we expect to really want to see something, like a deer late in the hunting season, the odds of a mistake go up. And other elements add to the illusion, such as hearing brush rustling, and it can be so convincing that even after a hunter knows he shot a person, he may still believe he fired at an animal. Quote, our investigators call it premature disclosure, Nott said. When they investigate these incidents, the hunters will never say, I thought I saw a turkey. They will stand there and say, I saw a turkey. Our memories are, are as susceptible to illusions as our vision, Rady said. Research has shown that if people are asked to imagine a scenario, especially happening to them, a percentage will later believe it did happen. The more often people rehearse a false memory, he said, the more likely they will become convinced it's true. In the Portland Press-Herald two days before we recorded this, Robert Scoglin wrote a column about pareidolia, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but P-A-R-E-I-D-O-L-I-A. The brains need to make sense of chaos. In other words, the picture the brain puts together when it's not complete. The same thing Scruggs wrote about 15 years ago. Not being a hunter myself, for years I have thought it remarkable that someone could look at a human being and see a deer, Scoglin wrote. But if you realize that your brain's job is to help your eyes make sense of your surroundings... A hunter seeing a deer and anything that moves in the brush is very understandable. He has a story about a friend. <laughs> the friend said that the first time he went hunting, the friend he was with told him to stand at a place along a railroad track where he could see for quite a distance. The friend would walk way out around in a big circle and hope to drive out a deer, which, by the way, is illegal. Marsh this
0: was in the 50s. Yes,
1: it was marsh was a very laid-back that's the name of the friend was a very laid-back agreeable person so he did exactly as directed suddenly he saw a man in a brown fur coat running along the track (laughs) he wondered why any person would be so foolish to wear a brown fur coat in the woods during hunting season and on top of that the man was running on all fours with a rack of antlers attached to his head marsh couldn't bring himself to shoot because he didn't see a deer he saw a foolish person and he never went hunting again
0: you have to you have to say that in like a, a I I can't do accent. him I can't do it. because he's also known as the humble farmer Oh the, yes the humble the, farmer he has a jazz Fama. show on the radio too You know I'll say about that column and I usually don't read him It was very interesting and it, we can talk about it later but it made me think mm, Good that's good that's good insight Cool <laughs> Well I didn't want to interrupt your, your Yeah I'm almost done I'm
1: almost done okay. Before I close Ah I just want to add one thing. In conclusion, I'd like to think attitudes have changed from the victim blaming that went on when Karen Wood was shot 29 years ago. But when Renzel was shot, I had a real issue with the reporting. I'll qualify this by saying I was taking a writing sabbatical up in Lubeck. That weekend wasn't totally plugged in, and I caught up with most of the news stories days after it happened. So I didn't read everything, but I read a lot that was written about it. And in catching up, stories frequently mentioned the fact she wasn't wearing orange. The fact that her land wasn't posted, which means the hunters could be on it. And the fact that she and her family were unaware it was deer season. It wasn't until Trundy was charged more than a week later that anything I read about the case, mentioned his legal obligation to identify a deer or the state's strong suggestion that residents ask permission before hunting on private land. I don't feel it was necessarily prejudice against non-hunters, though. I don't think a lot of newspaper reporters are that aware of. It was probably something that bothers me just as much, though. Bad reporting that didn't ask enough questions or give enough answers. But it definitely colored the perceptions of regular people whom my guesses aren't as aware of the facts around hunting unless they do it or, like me, researched it for books. But then again, I'll leave you with this. It may sound familiar. Renzel's brother, Jeremy Renzel of Auburn, said he was growing frustrated with some who criticized his sister for her clothing choices that day. Quote, Just because it's fall and it's hunting season, the woods do not belong to the hunters. It's not a person's responsibility to wear orange or not go in the woods, he said. It's the hunter's responsibility not to fire at something unless they know what they're firing at.
0: That's right. I don't fault them for. for I mean, I'm sure people who are reading the article were probably wondering to themselves, "Was she wearing?" Bla-? So uh, I can understand that. But they should have. They should have also well, said, "Yes." Well, you need to have all the facts. All the facts. And every yes. time
1: I read one of those stories, I'm like, if I were the editor on the story, I'd say to the reporter. We need to get what the hunter's obligation is because he's the one who shot the person. He's the one who may be charged. This was before he was was charged. By saying the stories didn't point a finger at her, but every single story, I was reading them in one particular newspaper, pointed out every single time her land wasn't posted that they didn't know it was hunting season and that she wasn't wearing orange. I'm like, what about a hunter's obligation to identify the animal? My guess is the reporter didn't know that. Yeah, And nobody told the reporter to look it up, and nobody told the reporter to ask, and nobody got a quote on it and, until he was charged. And it really pissed me off yes. because it's you have... Very
0: floppy. Right. I wanted to say about the Humble Farmers column, Robert Scogland. for those of you who don't know. I liked his column because of the way he described the phenomenon. When you hear the story about it, you're like, how can someone think they see People a deer? People say that all the time. I've You talked, can say that, but right. listen, but he put it into a different context where now it happens to me all the time and I, I'm sure it happens to all of us all the time and we don't even realize it. You're driving down the road and you see something in the distance that looks like a street sign, well it looks like a person standing yes. there, and then as you get closer you realize it's like a street right. sign or a shrub or something, and you just kind of go, huh I thought that was a person, but you don't. I've mistook
1: mailboxes for deer frequently because here in Maine, a lot of them have extra legs because of the snow plows and stuff. Yeah.
0: And there's just a lot of times it happens to you and it's something that you just put you don't even think about right. it. You're like you'll be driving down the road and you'll or I'll think I'll see a sign that says something and it's totally different than what I thought it said or mm-hmm. so you know, because you're expecting something else. Yes. And you don't even think you know, it's just like it flits through your mind like, Oh, I thought that was the you know, oh it's that. Okay. Right. But when you're hunting, and I think you know that's a split. And I've had thing. hunters
1: say to me when I talk To extensively before I wrote my second mystery novel, No News is Bad News. Yeah. I had originally, the reason I got those articles from Roberta Scruggs is I was very interested in that whole phenomenon. And I I actually wanted to make it even more of a part of that book than it became. I got interested in other things like the transfer station and stuff. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Read the book, everybody. But the hunter I talked to. No News is Bad News. Yes, thanks.
1: (laughs) The hunter I talked to extensively to find out more about hunting and stuff, insisted that he would never mistake a person for a deer. But none of these people... I'm sure every single one of these guys who shot someone, you would ask beforehand if they would ever mistake a person for a deer, and they would say no. And every single one of them said, just like in that article... It was a deer. Not, I thought it was a deer, but it was well, a deer. Well,
0: I want to about the Karen Wood case. When the shooting first happened, I was living down in Portland, and I was working in Portland, and a, the job I had was all, was mostly men that hunted. It was funny, the arguments, because there was probably about, and it was pretty much split evenly between, they were all hunters. They argued about it all the time. It seemed like everyone in the state was arguing about, it, about whether, she should have been more careful, basically people blaming her or blaming the the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it was. And one of them did point out, and that's what I always remembered, that at the time you had to have a doe license, and if you didn't have a doe license, you had to see antlers. And mm-hmm. that was the big deal and he didn't have a doe license so if he hadn't seen antlers but they also he, th- he said he thought he saw antlers and it could have been yeah, a sampling know, he said so then I moved up to, to Ellsworth the summer of 1990 and his trial was that fall people started arguing about it again when they acquitted him and said a deer must have run in front of her I was just like are you fucking yeah, kidding it's bullshit. me? and I think it's I easier don't...
1: for people to believe that than to believe the psychology of him not of him thinking. And,
0: and I also remembered, and I forgot until you mentioned that friend of Kevin Wood um, going into Doug Shop, uh, Shop and, and, Save. and Save, which used to just be Doug's, and then Shop and Save bought it. Anyway, uh-huh. but I remember the feeling back then that at first he was really the... Shooter. What was his name? Sorry. It, Rogerson. He was Donald very Rogers. upset about it. He was. But then as time went on, and by the time the trial came along, he was almost kind of like, it's not my fault. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: His attitude changed, and I was living in New Hampshire, and, and I even people, remember.
0: And I think that's part of what was going on. There's always going to be people. She was from away, and he was from Maine, and that was a big deal, <laughs> especially up there. Down in Portland, it's, it was a little different. Right. Well,
1: they made the assumption because she was from
0: away that, that she, she knew not didn't understand but hunting culture. If she and they're in, from upstate New yeah, York. And I mean,
1: her husband was a
0: hunter. And her family were hunters. Because no. I remember one of the articles saying that every Thanksgiving, her father and brothers would go out hunting.
1: Right. You're going to get that anyway. But a lot of it came from what I always consider lazy reporting the fact that there wasn't a lot of information available so that first mention that first mention by the warden of the white mittens just became always
0: remember more
1: I don't think I've ever had one conversation about this in thirty years where somebody hadn't said, Well why she was wearing white mittens and I can remember mom saying at the time if she was hanging up laundry she wouldn't have been wearing mittens. That's
0: true. And I doubt she was hanging up laundry. She had those two little she She was
1: she was wallpapering the kitchen. Who stops in the middle of that to hang out? Well Mm -hmm. I I guess you would if you were doing a load. And it's a case of information being just constantly repeated. Telephone game. But also because there was, before Rogerson was finally indicted, so little information and everybody felt they needed to keep doing stories on it, the stories became what people were saying. And the more people said, the more... It would be, and frankly, I think it's one of those things that makes Maine people look like buffoons, you know.
0: Besides our governor. Yeah. It's
1: always striking to me, not only in this type of story, but in other ones where a jury or the public or whoever are more willing to believe something that just obviously isn't true them believe a more subtle, nuanced yeah, I know. psychological issue, especially if it's one they don't experience. People are more willing to believe, like, kids are part of a satanic cult. That book, I yeah, mentioned I a few episodes about the mean girls, and one the girl who kind of led the pack, who killed a 12-year-old, is she was just horrifically sexually abused by her father, and their house was a really bizarre place to live And She was obviously just terribly affected by that, but nobody in the jury bought that as a reason that she would kill a 12-year-old. They were more willing to buy that the kids were in a satanic cult because some of them were acting out in phony satanic cult type ways.
0: The other thing I wanted to bring up, and I'm not talking about anything specifically in any of these cases, but in hunting accidents in general, that never seems to be mentioned, is that people get up at like 4 or 5 in the morning. They drink sometimes all day while they're hunting. Mm -hmm. They're not supposed to, but they do. Mm -hmm. Not all, but there are people that spend the day drinking beer while Mm -hmm. they're hunting. I'm sure that can cause some issues. But yeah. I do want to say, too, I'm sure a lot of hunters, maybe they won't admit this, but I bet a lot of times they have false alarms when they're hunting and they don't shoot, and they're like, jeez, I almost thought that was a... T- Each
1: one of the articles I read, and I can't remember now which one it was, was giving all the stats and everything, and it said, and, and this doesn't even mention the ones where they shot and missed, and it was a person. Or
0: they missed, or they never shot. They went to shoot, and then they went They like, said, shit. holy
1: shit, that was a person. And Robert Trundy, the guy who shot, Karen Renzel. and you know there's no question that he shot her he hasn't been indicted yet and he's only charged with manslaughter but in the recent cases there have been some hunter shooting hunter ones there was one in 2011 one in 2012 there's more convictions than there used to be people's attitudes have changed yeah and the laws have helped and,
0: you know it's you know if you're speeding and you hit a person that i don't know walking on the sidewalk or something that doesn't mean you were trying to kill somebody but you're still you know well but i think for their death. but i think one of the biggest issues is
1: that that problem people have with not being able to conceive of somebody doing something that they themselves yes. think they wouldn't do is there anything more about this? No, okay.
0: but no, it's very interesting. Thank you. Food for thought. It is while well, I eat my venison steak.
1: I think cases like this get more print and discussion than actual homicides in Maine. I think did. that
0: Karen would. I can't even. If, if you're in
1: Maine, if you're ever in anyone Maine, anyone
0: who was in Maine and just say the woman town. in the white mittens. Everybody was talking about it. Everyone was arguing about it. But the thing
1: is, when you talk to people about it, you realize how little people know. I know. And but the, they... the whole thing is, this woman was in her yard she was in the yard of her home and it doesn't matter what you're doing in the yard of your home you should not get shot well and that's why they're
0: the 300 feet
1: right but he was 319 from her house but that's why you identify the deer i mean
0: that's not very far you should be able to see the
1: a house. Well, he should have been able. I think the New York Times reporter actually stood in the woods where he would have been and could see the houses and,
0: you know. Your brain is very and she had long brown hair from what I remember. Yes. Your brain is a very strange machine. Like the column we were talking and like the Roberta Scruggs article, it tries to fill in, it tries yes. to help you. It tries to make shortcuts it tries to like if you see they have these brain exercises where all the vowels are missing and you can still figure out what it's like.
1: Like um, Wheel of Fortune.
0: <laughs> no, that, those idiots always buy vowels I know. Now.
1: <laughs> so we have recommendations. Yes. We have a recommendation and a affirmation of a recommendation. Okay. Why don't we do the affirmation first and get it on the way? All right. So I finally watched. I've been intending on doing it forever, and I finally was looking for something to watch the other night and watched One Mississippi. Yay! That you have recommended a couple times. I recommended it, and they're both six episodes. They're and
0: short too. They're yeah,
1: a little over half an hour. I watched nine episodes the first night and then three the second. The only and reason I stopped you the first like it. Yes. The only reason I stopped the first night was because my iPad battery was dying, ah. and also it was like one thirty in the morning. I really, really like it a lot. I knew it's, you would like it's it. comedy, but it's not it's slapstick like said, it's, like uh-huh. I, it's... it's got a very gentle, affectionate way. There are a couple minor characters that aren't great people. But the major characters, like even her brother's girlfriend and people, yeah, they're all they all have, and, and it takes some unexpected turns that are. Both pleasing and amusing. Yeah. It's I nice. really like it
0: doesn't shy away from topics like the character it's I based think, on her real life, which I said before she was sexually abused.
1: Well, I think it's I think it's very interesting in fact because of all the stuff that's happened the past month. She yes. has a scene where she goes to her mother's grave and her mother kinda comes out of the grave and her mother's talking about oh ha ha talking about this affair when she was 17 that she had with a married man in his thirties as if it's this romantic thing. And then Tig talks about her abuse by her step grandfather. And then all these women start coming out of their great graves and saying, well, mine was a stranger but, yeah. and mine was this and all these different women. And it's funny because it's, if it were done after what's happened the past month yeah. or two, it'd be
0: like, oh, yeah, that's just... Last time I recommended this, I also recommended Master of None. And that also has... Some of the shows have a sexual mm, harassment theme. That's why both of those shows, like I said, they're they're different, but in a lot of ways, they're, the, the tone is the same. Yes. It's not this... Uh uh-huh, aha funny but it's looking at life in a realistic way but also a little bit you know hyper realistic right Well side. because it's a, it's a TV show and also none of the characters are clichés mm-hmm. her stepfather's kind of this uptight even the ladies from the church are southern ladies but they're not cliché I was
1: going to say yeah. her stepfather's kind of uptight and very you don't ex- He's a caring person and some of the reactions are not what you'd expect mm-hmm. I like shows like that it's...
0: and I thought that Towards the end of season two, it was very affecting. I like the brother, she and her brother's interactions. It's yeah. very, even though they look nothing alike yeah. in the way they deal with their stepfather. And it's mm-hmm. not
1: a sitcom type of thing. No, so, it's not, so, but so it's I'm, wonderful. And so I love I'm affirming, yes, I'm affirming your recommendation. of Thank you. Not that you need my answer. Yeah,
0: I, you know, I really, until you tell me it's a That's worthwhile right. recommendation, I don't really feel good about and it. And so
1: for our actual recommendation...
0: A podcast. A podcast. Dirty John. Oh, I thought it was going to be groovy too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you're into the Brady Bunch, I love groovy Tube. Yeah, those two ladies are so funny. Yeah, we are.
1: We crack us up. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah, so Dirty, Dirty
0: John. Dirty
1: John. Now, before I watched it, because you watched it before I do, we and did,
0: w- I didn't really watch it. I listened, I listened
1: to, it. to it. There <laughs> may be some spoilers in our discussion. We'll try to keep them out, but really, I can't be limited because yeah. that's not how I roll. But you kept saying, oh my god, the woman is so stupid. I said she's a fucking idiot. She's a fucking idiot. And I just want to make a point. She's 59 and she gets involved with this guy who's an obvious con man and using her. But listening to it, I feel like it's not so much that she's stupid. When she takes him back after finding out some things about him that most people would that run the That was I said it. But I feel like there's a certain kind of narcissism, particularly among women, that allows you to get involved with... Men that you shouldn't because of the attention they pay well, to you. Be. In the very first episode, and she found him on was a it? dating app for people over 50, and all the shit he did and said, even before I knew what I it know. was about, I'm like, oh my, this would all be red flags for me. Like she mentioned the church, and he goes, oh, I go to that church too. And it's like, hasn't she ever watched The Mentalist or anything? No shit. I mean, if it'd be one thing if he knew what church she went to before she said what church she went to. telling her she's just his type and all this bullshit and anytime a guy tells you first of all do doctors without borders really drop out of helicopters in iraq and shoot at people i don't think so but you know whenever somebody tells you bullshit stories i just want
0: to say because people are gonna get upset and think i'm victim blaming i'm sorry if that sounds like it. What prompted me to text you that she's a fucking idiot was when she took him back. It's one thing, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right. I mean, come on. The woman had been married, I don't know, four, four ta- five times. First of all, if you're married and divorced
1: four times, I think it's time for a little introspection.
0: It is. It's one thing to even, maybe even twice make a mistake, but. Three times and, you got to start and wondering. And also, before she knew, and why do people get getting married? And before
1: she knew she was the bad stuff, things she was about su- him, successful woman wh- like her her nephew who she had raised because her sister had been shot by uh, yes. uh, her husband. And this is before Debbie knew. Debbie is the woman. Yeah. B- bad things about the guy. They were like in the kitchen making some meal, and her daughter Jackie just really hated him. Yes. And he said something like, "I could drop her from a thousand yards. Uh, just give me a gun or something like that." And Debbie Debbie thought it was funny. I okay, no matter what I think of the guy, if he makes jokes, even if my sister hadn't been shot by a I guy know. when a guy starts making jokes about killing your kids, I know that's when you have to wonder if maybe there's something wrong with him. But I think she liked the attention. And she says a couple yeah, but, times in the podcast, Oh, but I was just I was just really in love with him. I was just really in love with him. I'm like, What is love? They got married, they hadn't known each other for two months. So is love a guy? Paying attention to you and overdoing it in ways. Oh, he'd wash my car and he'd do this and he'd well, do that.
0: I mean, I'm sure you have friends and I have friends that are what people call unlucky in love. Mm. But they're yeah. in many relationships yes. that always overlapping. In men and women that I've known, they keep making the same mistake and they don't mm-hmm. listen to the people around him who say, "Okay, that guy, there's something wrong with mm-hmm. him. I don't like that guy. I want to tell you." There's, you know, blah, blah, blah. They don't listen to you. Right. And it's not like you're trying to control. You're just, you're watching out for them because right. you love them. You know, this guy there, you know, a friend of mine, someone just totally swept her off her feet and blah, blah, blah. And both me and somebody else said, I would never get swept off my feet.
1: I mean, it's, I'd be so suspicious. I know.
0: And we we're like, someone that knew her longer than me said, you do this all the time. Mm-hmm. Because He's they're...
1: See, because in a minute, we should probably talk about what we like about the podcast and stuff. But I just want to say, I always feel like when somebody... And she even says, oh, he just came on well, so when strong. when come on so strong... When, the, when it's, it's, a guy comes on strong, I'm immediately suspicious. Yeah. Because even if it's sincere, I'm like, Whoa, well, let's get to know each other a little bit. Uh-huh. You know? What I like about the podcast is it builds the story well. Yes. So that you... We know, it doesn't hide the fact... He's, I mean, even if you don't have the red flags, like I knew Pretty in the first so minute. Pretty we
0: know he's a manipulator,
1: But yeah. it's interesting how it builds the story about how her daughters start gathering information and her nephew does and his reaction to it, and then his background, and you find out more. Oh, yeah, you find in out more And her background, and it builds the story very, very well. And I would have been more surprised by the conclusion if I had not listened to a podcast that gave away the conclusion. That didn't bother me. And they may have even warned and I listened anyway. I thought the way it told the story was really good.
0: I liked the way it told the story. I liked... The the nice thing was it interviewed all all the people involved, most of them. They were all very forthcoming. Yes. I'll give Debbie credit, even though I did call her... I'm sorry, Debbie. that I called you a fucking idiot, but you gotta listen to people. Uh, But I wouldn't really know how much I would want to talk about myself if I had... I, well, oh, like I said, like a certain that. kind of narcissism. I know the thing that it always kills me about women like that. Fall for guys like that. I haven't seen a picture of her, but she was described as very attractive. She's very successful. She's a self-made woman. She didn't. She didn't right. have to rely on With anyone an else for decorating. her wealth. She was extremely wealthy, which is one reason and he liked her. I know, but she was able to support herself in a, v- a very nice lifestyle. Mm-hmm. She didn't rely on men for her living. She must have been a good businesswoman. But she
1: relied on men for her self-worth. Yes,
0: yeah, she did. She and, was afraid of being and alone. you have to wonder what her background. Was was where her sister ended up in the same type of relationship. But
1: their mother it was very weird and I'd like to know more well, their mother forgave her sister's shooter yes. And not not in a way that felt genuine, but in a way that almost went in the other direction and blamed the sister yes. for getting shot.
0: And it was a case where the sister was going to leave him, and he went up. He he shot, her, he in cold shot blood. her in cold
1: blood. It point wasn't blank. like they were fighting yeah. or anything.
0: He went up and shot her.
1: And so I think there's some of that kind of obliviousness and to what a woman's role is and what a man's role is. And her
0: mother. Is the only one, Debbie's mother is the only one that liked Dirty John.
1: Right, but she points out she lived farther away. But she and,
0: also, I think she's just one of those women that the you always favor a man.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's, yeah. If one shoots your daughter and you're you blame your daughter more than him. Yeah. That's you know?
0: Weird. weird. I highly recommend
1: it. In fact, okay. I started listening to it over again because my thing did the thing, and I can't remember which. It was like episode two or three, where I went back to get in the car, and the thing was on pause and wouldn't come off pause. Oh, like things yeah. are downloading or my storage is full or whatever. And then when I went back, I still have trouble with Apple Podcasts on my phone, if we call them that. No, that iTunes.
0: app is weird.
1: That you want to just see something, but it ends up playing yeah, it. I so know. there was one episode I think I didn't hear all of. But, like, it was weird. Like, there were points where I felt like there wasn't enough information. Like, the woman in the house drinking the Ovaltine. Oh, yeah. And it's like, who was she? Did she say anything? You know? And like, It's like, and then Debbie started wondering if maybe John knew her. And I think it was a
0: girlfriend that showed up to screw with him, but we don't know. That's what I think.
1: But I'm like, why did Debbie wonder if John knew her? Well, indicated. So there were some things where it kind of glossed over and it's like, well, I want to know more about this thing here. Yeah. Also, there was a point where, um, you know, he had left his stuff around that showed like he was on all these websites, like don't date this guy Mm -hmm. and stuff. And The reporter said, you know, I'm just curious why he would do that, because Debbie could have easily found it, and her daughter Jackie, which I kind of agree with her, says, well, in some ways it was like he's a, a serial killer, and he has these trophies, and it's like, this is about me. I did that. And I'm like, yeah, take it a step farther. The guy's obviously a sociopath. He's not the kind of con man who's thinking logically and doing very smart things to get what he wants. He's an out-of-control psycho sociopath con man. And I
0: think he... It's not even that he doesn't think he's going to get caught. He doesn't care because he he doesn't doesn't think he's going to suffer the consequences. Right, he doesn't... Much like some people that are elected into office, they do they want?
1: Right, and he, I think, too, he really, really thought he was smarter than everyone else. Yeah. And Debbie didn't disabuse him of that. For instance, Mm. everything her nephew or one of her daughters said, we found out about this, John... she went right to him and told him. I know. I know. Him. And it's like, know ah, so it was, You know, if you're
0: watching that on a TV show. You're like, what the hell is wrong with her? Yes. Why would you go and say, oh, Jackie told me that you're blah blah blah? You know. But it's oh, funny, Like, here's an God. indication.
1: But here's an indication of her personality. She's a very successful interior designer, and she's talking to the reporter at the beginnings, and she has this at the beginning, and she has this whole warehouse full of stuff, and there's mm-hmm. all these books, and she's like. Well, you know, if you have this cream, you know, interior, you want blue and gray books. So we do the books by color, blah blah blah. And the reporter says, "So the contents of the book don't matter." And she goes, "Well, you don't want anything that says sex or murder or something on the cover." So she totally doesn't get what he's asking. Is you're not reading. Nobody's read these books. Aren't about reading books. They're about so that's kind of where she's coming from. So I think she's a very smart businesswoman. Yeah, but I think she has very superficial. Yeah. Attitudes
0: which about which a lot of people do. Yes, I do. That's the problem with online dating too, and I know it works for some people, but a lot of times you get a soup alls idea of a per- Well, person. what you
1: hear is, oh, everybody lies, everybody lies, and it's like, well, then why do it? I I wouldn't have the patience. I don't think everybody
0: does either, though, because I've seen some. No. I've seen profiles of people I know, and they're could you see honest. if I did
1: that with my profile? Person who Someone can't be like bothered that. to do anything with you. Would you that be could me? Find <laughs> I know.
0: So we both liked Dirty
1: John. We did, and we recommend listening to it. It's a fast listen because there's six episodes, and none of them are. Mm,
0: yeah, I listened to it, and I an, an hour, hour long. I mean, yeah, to a couple days.
1: So and I'm it's not sure. if you're looking for ooh, this is a big like murder mystery, true crime thing. It's not like it's that. Not. It's, it's more if you're interested in a character study. Yeah, I don't want to give away what happens at the end, but it it's, is.
0: It's more on the lines of maybe kind of like S Town type of thing. It was similar to it it it. Is. not exactly because one of the things that bugged me about S Town, even though I most part liked it, the guy who was doing it sorry i can't remember his name the narrator was he inserted himself a little too much mm-hmm. in the story i agree yeah. this one the person didn't not not at all, not at all. Yeah. it was like one of those ones where there's just people talk
1: in fact you're almost surprised when you hear him ask a question or like yeah. when he says well i one thing that doesn't make sense to me is blah 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 and it's like oh yeah oh, he's
0: he's there. there yeah and that's the type of when i'm watching documentaries that's the type i like speaking of which we could do a a short um one on the um on um long shot yeah yeah,
1: that was very interesting. We watched that the
0: other night. That was, that was,
1: that was, good. was a good one. Yeah, we can recommend that And that's for another one day. I
0: like basically just talking to people, you know, just had the people talking. I would have liked
1: it to have been longer. There were things about it I felt.
0: Uh, they should have devoted a little more time at the end to what really happened. Yes. The thing that bugged me that no one brought up is the guy, what was his name? Juan Cantana. So the story is this guy, Juan, was arrested for shooting a girl, a 16-year-old girl, based on an eyewitness's... Which we all know are
1: suck. And the composite
0: looked like Anybody. any generic Hispanic well, thing. or Mediterranean. The man himself, Juan, it wasn't like he was a unique looking guy. He didn't have any characteristics stood out. Some facial hair, short hair. I mean, that could be anyone. And then they showed, like, a photo lineup. They all looked I don't alike. think the composite looked anything like him. In fact, it looked like it something your daughter would draw or something. Yeah, well, <laughs> just a guy with a mustache. But uh, the prosecutor's like, well, it's him, you know. You know she, she just wanted to kill people. So it was good because it, um... Larry David's in it because one of the things about it was he was at a yeah. Dodgers game where they were filming an episode of Curb Your. In fact, Indiana. it's funny because it's one of my
1: favorite episodes of Curb. Because <laughs> he has to, he wants to get into the carpool lane, so he picks up a sex worker to. So he'll have somebody in the car for the. She's carpool also lane.
0: in Master of None,
1: and she was a riot. I was listening to another podcast where they said it really gives you faith in the justice system, and I said no, it doesn't. No. It makes you scared shitless if they if Larry David hadn't been filming his show in that guy's section at the. Dodgers game this guy would have been on death row so it doesn't give you faith yeah, in the no. justice system even
0: though they said that it didn't matter it did matter it that, did the prosecutor's like well that doesn't matter he could have still gotten back and yeah and shot but him, it but...
1: helped them added to like cell phone things which they wouldn't have it
0: was a m- another piece of information right. and it was a concrete, it was a concrete piece yeah. of
1: information I mean that the prosecutor was trying to wiggle out he could have had time to do it although like he's going to go kill somebody with a six-year-old in the car and the cell phone thing they could have talked out of if they weren't able to prove he was at the game but the Two of them together,
0: together. were. Was, they showed at the preliminary hearing or whatever it was. His little daughter, and she seemed younger than six, but she could have been. Well, scared. I'm sure she was
1: cowed by being in court. I was just
0: picturing my six year old. It's chilling. It in is. a lot of ways, it, it ends well for him.
1: And everybody they talked to is cool, like even the counsel for the Dodgers, who kind of yeah, has the were, opening and closing lines.
0: Nice. And those cops were asked. What makes you wonder
1: about. But they're not the only cops who do that. Okay, they got in trouble, but yes. I think it was because it was a high profile case. It was. Because I remember reading about this when it happened, because probably because I was a fan of Curb Your Enthusiasm, yeah. and I'm it, like, oh yeah, that, that episode I that, that I like. That cops. Just want to bulldoze a guy, and everybody knows that prosecutors should know because we know that eyewitness testimony in a traumatic moment when it's dark out. She was hanging a death penalty case. She needs
0: to check herself. Like she has this reputation that she's called a called a a sniper, sending people to death row. Well, good for her. But she needs... These are human beings. These are human beings. You are sending them to death. Now, what makes you any better than a murderer if you're sending someone that hasn't committed a crime to death? Nothing. And she can sit there and be proud of it. And is she really sure that every single time? I mean, how can you sit there and be so confident? We know eyewitness testimony is It's bullshit. And And we just talked about this earlier. If you think you see a deer, well, you could think you see... Right. There are people who, when DNA evidence comes up and they're like, I've seen people on 48 Hours or whatever. They still
1: insist that Well, some
0: of them don't. There was a woman who was raped and she said, I could have sworn it was him. No, I I know her,
1: but what I'm saying is the
0: prosecutors. Oh, the prosecutors, yeah. And
1: they had to do the whole tricky-dicky thing with him, too. Like, oh, look, somebody circled this picture of you and blah, blah, blah to force him... You don't have to play tricks on people. So we've rambled through several different topics here for our recommendations.
0: That was quite the free flowing. Yes, and I also want
1: to. If you're interested in um, fictionalization of dear the the deer. No news is bad news. Yeah, although it's Farm not Marty really. Yeah. Audible
0: dot com Thank you. Amazon. That's right. My books are on Audible bookstore. You
1: like listening to
0: stuff because you've listened to us for this long. Okay. <laughs> you must like. It's not. Sorry that it's not our voices reading it. It's somebody that has you know. Other
1: people plug their shit, so I should you be can able plug to. It. I'm not. I'm no, not I'm not playing. saying with you. I'm just saying that you Have know we, we had any we had a topic today coincidentally that also informed one of my mystery novels. So I'm just saying that.
0: Yes. I'm sure that our few listeners have already read your
1: books. I'm sure they have.
0: And thank you all our listeners. And thanks for listening. And our patrons.
1: And you can find us on Crime and Stuff Online, which is our website. And
0: Facebook. Crime
1: Twitter. Stuff, Twitter, Instagram. Instagram.
0: We always go Insta. It's hard. I don't It's know. hard to
1: keep up with all Instagram's the social media. It's
0: hard for me. I don't know.
1: But the problem is there's just so much to do. And so little and time. And also,
0: when I go on Instagram, it's just, I don't understand why there's pictures there that are really old and then there's stuff. Yeah, I, I don't, don't get know. stuff. And, and then, then like I said, there's just all these selfies. It's like, really? Yes. I don't need to see a picture of you every day, girl. Mm. Whatever. Or, um, why do what? they take out so many pictures of themselves uh, all You'd the have time. to ask one of them. Like, because they always can. have the same looks on their face. I know, that little
1: pouty look and that, everything. That
0: sticking their. You yes. Know, pooching their lips. Yes. Like
1: why? It, because they do. They do. That's what they
0: do. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. To figure something. Are out. you going to say goodbye to our oh, listeners? Oh, I did say goodbye, and then we kept talking. <laughs> I goodbye. Hate these goodbye. No, I had in junior
1: year biology. He was he was a total dick. He was a total fucking dick. He said one time that um we were talking about IQs or something like DNA and he goes you know some people you know you look at their student record and they have high IQs but you'd never know it by the way they act and like he looked right at me when he said it,
0: it but who was not the, that I have a high a IQ old, this old, no little, this, old little short old one that told mom and dad a C was a good grade for a girl oh
1: mr um yeah, no, Mr. F***er was Mr. Skin, Mr. blonde so, hair, oh, yeah, an and at one time he graphically him. described sex to us and how the man, sometimes yeah. after sex, and he's, yeah, his yeah. penis is flaccid, lies there in the penis, blah, blah, blah. I think he was telling us about birth control, but it was very, it was, looking back, it was kind of pervy.